welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly video where we talk about Jesus, Christianity, and anything along those lines. Um, we are in Revelation 19. Uh, last week I said that we were going to uh, get through all of the rest of 19 and 20 this week, but during my study sometimes it just feels like that's the wrong thing to do. Sometimes plans change. So we're just going to finish 19 this week. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about some uh, pretty hot-button topics. That was really the deciding factor there, was the, the thousand-year reign is one of those things that that Christians, we seem to get fixated on and argue about, and there's been entire denominations created over it. Like, it's just, it's kind of one of those things that, again, I, I like to remind you guys, Revelation is almost, I don't want to say it's it's not essential, but we're along for the ride for what it discusses, right? Like, the point of Revelation is to encourage us as we go about our lives, as we stand strong, as we refuse to compromise in our faith with the world around us. It's not really that important exactly how everything wraps up in the end, other than to know and to trust that God is going to make all things right in the end, that He is going to bring about justice, that He is going to make everything as He designed it to be good. So we're going to talk about it next week. I'm going to try to be fair about uh, the different viewpoints on the thousand-year reign and all that. But again, might not be what you want, uh, but... Uh, I refuse to really get too deep into the, the, the disagreements and the big arguments because it ultimately doesn't matter, right? If you knew exactly when Jesus was coming back, uh, it shouldn't really change how you live your life every single day. I, I, I genuinely believe that. So that being said, let's. Uh, we're just going to finish out 19, and we're going to be talking about uh, Christ's appearance here, right? So we're in the section of Revelation where Christ is acting as the warrior, right? He's acted as the lamb. He's acted as the priest, the intermediary between humanity. Um, he's acted as the prophet. Now in this section, he is acting as the warrior or the king. He is coming into his kingdom and establishing it. Um, and so Revelation 19, 11 through 21 is kind of in the midst of this saga of the beast and the whore and, and the dragon where uh, the whole point of Revelation, besides to encourage us to show that God is going to wrap all things up, right? Like, that's what we're discussing here. Well, the last bit we've been looking at is how he has finally, once and for all, ended human corruption, human perversion of God's good creation, and, and the destruction of the whole of Babylon. Well, now we're going to start dealing with the other uh, big players, uh, the, the, the beast and the prophet, or who we're looking at today. Ultimately, the source of evil, the, the dragon, the serpent, um, He'll be next week in the next few weeks. Um, but here we're looking at, at the, the, the beast and the prophet. And so in the context, just to remind you guys, uh, the, pro the, the beast is a metaphor for empire, right? He's a personification of empire. So in, in the day that John was writing this down, as Jesus revealed it to him, the empire that was oppressing God's people more than any other, there were more than one empire at this time in the world, was the Roman Empire. And so we see in this beast, there are things that very clearly show us he's, he's talking about the Roman Empire here, the, the, seven, the seven horns, that's the seven hills of Rome. Like The point is not that this is a prophecy about how Rome will be destroyed. Rome's already gone. It died a thousand years later when Constantine finally fell at the hands of the Muslims. And honestly, it kind of survived a little bit beyond that, but really it was dead and gone then. That's not what this is about. All right, this vision is showing how empire is, is evil, 
about empire as a form of government uh, is a tool of the devil to, to, to oppress people, to destroy people, to keep people away from God. And the Roman system was entirely that. It was built to keep people away from, the, from Yahweh, away from the one true God through the worship of these false idols, through the worship of these emperors. I mean, it's, it's just it, the Roman system as a whole was entirely designed to keep people away from God, from Jesus. And so we see here that the beast is finally dealt with. And so what we're going to see is how empire is going to be done. There's not going to be any place for it in, in God's new kingdom and, and what happens after Judgment Day. Uh, and then the prophet, again, is the, the, these are the people within the empire who support the empire. So these are pawns, essentially, right? Uh, and if you remember back those few weeks ago when we studied this, that the prophets were, were here, the false prophets were there to, to really kind of reinforce. They were selfishly trying to get favor of the beast, of empire. And so these would have been the people, the local magistrates, the local officials who were forcing these, these, these divine worship, the, the Caesar worship ceremonies and festivals on their local people. And they would also be the people who were, who were actually carrying out the persecution of Christians. So we see that that not only is it the beast, but it's also the people who support the beast, who back the beast, who join the beast side that, that will be dealt with as well. So uh, with that foundation laid, let's read Revelation 19, 11 through 21 and uh, break it down. So starting verse 11, it says, Then I saw the heaven opened, and there was a white horse. And the one who was sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war justly. His eyes are like flaming fire, and there are many coronets, crowns, on his head. He has a name written there which nobody knows except himself. He is clothed in the robe, dipped in blood, and he is called by the name God's Word. The armies of heaven follow him on white horses, all wearing shining and pure linen. A sharp two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth, so that with it he can strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron... And he will tread on the winepress of the wine of the anger of the wrath of Almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh is written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let's stop there. This first section, 11 through 16, we're talking about Jesus. This is Jesus showing up. This is the parousia. Uh, if you want to get fancy theological speak, like this is Christ's return. And so we see he's on a white horse. Now, some people have tried to say that the white horse from earlier with the four riders, this is Jesus. It's not. Different white horse. Um, so what we're seeing here is that Christ is coming back on a, a war horse, right? So that's what a white stallion is. It is the war horse. Um, if you study it, and you, especially around Christmas time when we talk about, or not Christmas time, Easter time when we talk about the triumphal entry, you, there's a study you can go down about how when a king entered into a city, um, what he was riding on signified his intentions. So a donkey signified peace. There was no war. If a king rode into a city on a donkey, it was signifying peace, that there was no hostility intention. If they rode in on a white stallion, that was a war horse. That communicated another message. Here, Christ is riding in on a war horse. When he entered in the city of Jerusalem before he was crucified, he rode in on a donkey. There's a big difference there. So we're seeing all these kind of symbols and messages being conveyed. Um, and we see a throwbacks to the first, uh, very first part of Revelation where, where Christ is described by John. So we see his eyes are like flaming fire and there's a sword coming out of his mouth. 
what is the sword? The sword is the metaphor for his word. It actually says that he is God's word. That is the name by which he is called. And that, that throws back to John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we're seeing here all of his weapons, all the things that he's communicating is, number one, this is a message of war. Jesus is coming to carry out a war. But it's not a war like you would expect. Let's finish reading uh, this section, and then we'll, we'll get into it a little more. It says, Then I saw a single angel, stand, angel standing in the sun, and shouting in a loud voice, calling to all the birds that fly in midheaven, Come here, gather round. This is God's great feast. Come and eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of generals and the flesh of the strong and the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the monster empire and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered for war with the one who sits on the horse and with his army and the monster was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence with which it had deceived those who received the monster's mark and those who worshiped its image the two of them were thrown down into a lake of fire which burns with sulfur all the rest were killed by the sword which came out of the mouth of the one who was sitting on the horse and all the birds feasted on their flesh so we see in this scene a vision of Christ leading the armies of heaven. And then we see the beast, the tool, the empire of the world stacked up against him and they lose. And the empire, the beast is, is finally done away with. And so are those who supported him. Now, if you go back through, and I, I'm quoting research here, this is not my own thoughts, but I'm regurgitating it, uh, that if you go back through and you look at all the... Uh, all the different uh, manuscripts and stuff we have about the expectations of the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the Anointed One, right? That's, those are all the same meanings. Uh, the Jewish people had an expectation that there would be this great Savior who would show up. But there wasn't really a consensus on what he would look like. Like if you read like the Dead Sea Scrolls or you read some of the commentaries by the rabbis, or there, there was a bunch of different thoughts on what he would show up as. Some kind of viewed him as a warrior king, kind of like David. Some viewed him as a priestly king, kind of like Hezekiah or Josiah. Um, some viewed him as a wise king in the type of Solomon. Some expected him to be both. Some expected two. There are even a few manuscripts that say, hey, they expected a royal priest and a royal king, which we see kind of quoted at the beginning of Revelation um, with with uh, the quotes from the prophets talking about how you'd have the, the, the king and the priest, the Joshua and the Melchizedek, right? So getting back to this, there was no consensus on exactly how the Messiah was going to look, but there was consensus on what he would do, that he would purify Israel, right? So he would purify them from the oppression of foreign powers, establish them back as their own nation, and he would purify them from within, from those renegades who have corroborated, who have compromised, and in doing so, he would purify Israel and purify the temple, setting it all back up. When Jesus showed up in Jerusalem and he rode on a donkey, that was the first sign. And then the people started shouting, Hosanna, they started quoting that psalm, basically demanding that he do what they expected of the Messiah, that he would start his holy war. But he didn't. As a matter of fact, he didn't cause any violence. The only violence that was done was done to him, Right? Which is kind of mind-blowing, because what Jesus was there to do was to defeat the powers of the world. 
These, this, this heavenly host of, of anti-God, these, these Elohim, these evil spirits that, that had rebelled against God and instead were manipulating and controlling and destroying the earth and destroying God's creation and destroying his people and separating his people. He was there to defeat them, and the only weapon they knew was violence. And so they manipulated the nations. They manipulated the empires. And you can draw, you can, you can pretty safely say that, that Rome itself was probably being controlled, being dominated over by Satan himself, by the devil himself. Because Satan makes an appearance in the story of Jesus. And so we see that when Jesus shows up and they kill him, they think they have won because that is how you win wars, through violence. And then Christ shows up again in this vision and revelation, and he's sending all the messages of war. But how does Christ conquer? He doesn't conquer through violence. He conquers to end all violence. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I take my responsibility to protect my family seriously. And so, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, you know, you do you, 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 whatever you're saying. I'm not making a statement on the Second Amendment, but I have guns to protect my family because I'm legally allowed to. I've taken classes and training on how to protect people, on self-defense. On, on, I've taken classes on how to, to handle trauma, how to heal people as far as like, you know, keep stabilizing people. You know, it's part of my role as a first responder with the fire department. I've done all these things because I take that role seriously. That if somebody sets out to do harm to my family, my role, my responsibility is to protect them as best I can. And if somebody does hurt them, to be able to try to keep them alive as best I can. I take those things seriously. All of that will be a waste of time in eternity. The learning how to shoot a gun, learning how to draw a gun, learning how to use a gun, maintaining all that will be a waste of time. Because violence itself is not part of God's creation. In a sense, you could define violence as, as evil, as bad. It is necessary. God commanded violence. Jesus was killed through violence. But ultimately, violence is not part of God's design. It's unnecessary. There won't be anybody to hurt each other. We'll all be united together. Creation together. Nature and man united. Man and man united. Humanity will all be as one. There will be no bad guys. And so when Christ goes about and fights this war, he's not doing it with literal violence. He's doing it with the weapons that are so much more powerful. His word. All of creation was created with the word. Jesus was the one who spoke and things existed. So Christ doesn't use violence. There's not going to be a literal war where all the kings of the earth come and they fight against Jesus. That's utterly unnecessary. Christ has come to use his greatest weapon, his love for his creation, to save them. The only thing he is unloving towards is those that are unloving. And so we see here in this final battle, it's not a literal battle, but it is the ending of violence. Because violence is the ultimate weapon of empire, right? Like every government, every dictatorship, every oppressive regime ever has used violence as its ultimate threat. If you don't do what we like, if you don't say what we want you to say, if you don't think what we want you to think, we'll kill you. We'll torture you. We'll hurt you. We'll hurt your family. That is the weapon of evil. What is Christ's weapon? His blood. That is it. That conquered the world was Christ's blood. They used their weapons through everything they had at him, and all it did was gave him the victory, gave him their kingdoms, gave him their thrones. And so when we look here at this section, that's what we need to take away with. 
Not that I'm preaching nonviolence. Again, I look forward to the day when guns are unnecessary. But that we need to trust in Christ's power and Christ's victory, not our own. And in order to do that, we have to stay faithful. And so I'll wrap up with this thought. Right? Revelation is full of, of talking about empires. We don't live in an age of empires anymore. It's the first time in human history that there hasn't been active major empires dominating the world around them. The biggest conflicts we have are normally either small nations or small groups within nations fighting each other, right? You see the Middle Eastern conflicts. You see the conflict in Eastern Europe right now. These aren't imperial expeditions. These aren't empires going out and destroying each other. We don't live in that world anymore, and that's a good thing because empire is evil. (laughs) Empire kills. Empire destroys. And so we might think, okay, well, this isn't really relevant to us, but it really is because there's another kind of empire. It's the cultural empires that exist. These, these waves of powers of influence that come over us constantly where people will identify more with a culture than they will necessarily a nation. And so you'll see, for example, uh, like music. Music is a good way to kind of get this idea going in your head. I'm not saying that every kind of genre in music is, is drawing people away from God, but, you know, you, there's metalheads all over the planet, right? There's fans of Britney Spears and um, Michael Jackson all over the planet, right? There are music transcends borders, and so those idols, as we call them, can, can create a following where people are devoted to them. So we have to remain faithful, and yes, we may not support uh, a worship of false idols or these, these Elohim that claim to be divinity, these angels that, that claim to be gods, no, but we will worship people, we'll worship things, we'll worship cultures and place ourselves in them. And so we have to remain faithful and make sure that we do not compromise our faith in any part, not for any political party, not for any music, not for any culture, not for any ideology. The only place our loyalty lies, the only thing that we bend the knee to, that we worship, that we accept its mark, is Jesus himself. And if we stay faithful to that, we have all of eternity to look forward to in God's presence as his people in the perfect place he created for us. If you have any questions, reach out. Otherwise, see you next week.